<clears throat> okay, so here we go. Let her rip. On the fifth day of FinTech, my true love gave to me five golden bitcoins. Maybe not that, given FTX. Four tech stacks, three debit cards, two regulators, and a cloud-based neo-bank decision tree. Thank you. Thank you so much for that warm reception. So come on. What else do you want for the holidays? Well, how about this? Seven magic guests. I would call them the seven elves, except for the fact that they stand large in the banking and fintech world. Denny Howe, the COO of Mahalo. Mike Meeks, Senior Vice President of Software for BHMI. Amy Berger, Vice President Solutions Specialist at Teslar Software. Mac Thompson, Founder and President of White Clay. Rosario Gomez Ortegoza, the CEO of Shastic. Chris Aliota, the CEO of Quantalytics. And Alex Franks, Director, Verification Services at Equifax. All gathered around the fire to toast to the third, the third annual Bankadelic holiday extravaganza. And so everybody is in the room. Hopefully you've got your hot chocolate. If you spiked it, I don't want to know about it. But anyway, here we go with the icebreaker. And if you can't break ice in December, I don't know when you're going to do it. And the question that is on my mind, maybe on every listener's mind, is perhaps you can share one holiday tradition, whether it is significant, special, or even strange that you can't live without doing this time of the year. And I am going to pick Amy to get us rolling. Hi, thank you, Lou. I would say the holiday tradition that I cannot live without is decorating the Christmas tree. I love collecting ornaments. So have one every year with photos of my kids and collect them on vacation. So it's really nice as you hang those to remember all the great memories that we've shared as a family. So that is my tradition. Cool. I'm going to put you on the spot. Is there a favorite ornament you have? The photo ones from when the kids were babies, I think, are just the ones that are most meaningful. Yeah, those are the best. I have to sneak them onto my tree because if my kids are around when I do it, they're teenagers, it's like, take that off the tree. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm still the dad. Okay, Mac Thompson. Hey, Lou. It's actually handmade mashed potatoes with extreme amounts of butter on top baked with those little brown like wisps of air it's my favorite thing about eating wise for the holidays that's fabulous so you got to tell me what's the potato is it a red potato russet potato what are we talking here it's russet with a lot of cream and a lot of salt pepper that's it all handmade though no machines i am hungry (laughs) we can't talk about this anymore chris your turn 
<laughs> Great. Lou, you mentioned that you're 100% Italian, so maybe you'll relate to this. Our big, what I would call tradition, is that on Christmas Day, I cook my grandmother's sauce. And as an Italian, sauce means two different things depending on where you're living. In the North, it means like pasta sauce. And I quickly learned that living in the South, when you say sauce, people tend to think of barbecue sauce. So I've got to be very specific and say, I'm cooking grandma's pasta sauce. So that's our tradition. Yeah. And it's funny because in South Philadelphia, they called it gravy. <laughs> so when I would mention this to my friends, they thought, what, turkey gravy, brown gravy? No, it's gravy. Alex, your turn. Thank you. And you know what? I'm going to talk about a tradition that my family had when I was growing up. I grew up Catholic and we attended Midnight Mass every year on Christmas Eve. And that was my most favorite night of the whole year. All my family showed up to Mass. I mean, if you're familiar with like the Catholic Church, the busiest days are Easter Sunday and Midnight Mass. <laughs> and then coming home and seeing all the gifts under the tree after, you know, getting back and Santa, quote unquote, had been there to visit. So that was probably my favorite tradition growing up. And as an adult, my new favorite tradition is my husband and I get King Crab for Christmas every year. So that's like my new thing. <laughs> Fabulous. King of Kings, King Crab. Yep. <laughs> Jose Ariel. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I follow right after it. So my name is Jose Ariel Gomez, I'm CEO of Shastic. I want to tell you kind of how we came to this tradition that we kind of made up ourselves. A few years ago, the father of my partner came to spend the holidays with us. And on the way driving here, he decided to stop and buy a ton of really fresh and delicious king crab legs, just like what you guys were talking about. So we had Christmas and we had nothing to do for a few days until New Year's. And Erica, my partner, decided to just go and get a bunch of, you know, high-end champagne bottles. We spent the next few days just eating king crab dipped in butter with champagne and nothing else. And we call that the champagne diet. And so we do it every year. King crab, champagne, max mashed potatoes. That's it. Just king crab and champagne <laughs> with butter. Yeah. I sense a feast coming on. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Meeks. Hi. For me, I'm fortunate. I've got a large extended family in the area, and we get together for Christmas every year. And sometime back, one of my nieces came up with the idea of doing a white elephant gift exchange. And basically, people can bring a nice gift or a gag gift, but usually we end up with a fairly even mix of them. People draw numbers and they pick the presents in order of their numbers. And there's some rules where you can take a present that someone else has already opened. They have to open another present or take someone else's. It's a lot of fun. You never know. You can never guess what the most popular thing will be. Sometimes there is even not the nice gift, but the gag gifts. And there's a lot of strategy. People will start trading numbers, trying to get a place in line where they think they might be the last one to get a certain gift that they want. A present can only be stolen so many times. And so if you're the last one, you get it. Some people want to go later to see what else is coming. We have a lot of fun. And the funny part is about the same time we started doing this for our company Christmas party. So I get two. I get one at the company Christmas party and then I get one Christmas day with family. Wow. that. Sounds a little bit like the banking industry itself. Surprises? <laughs> Not every day, of course. Just a quick aside, I think it's a bulldog, right? How is the BHMI bulldog doing for the holidays? 
Oh, just fine. In fact, we just put up a video with the Bulldog on our uh, Christmas video on our website. Got to check him out. And last, certainly not least, Denny. You know, I guess there's a couple things like, you know, collecting ornaments for each year that our family's together. And that's something we do with the hand-blown ornaments. But, you know, for me, I'm the early riser, right? So my tradition is being that person that's up the earliest, you know, sitting on the couch, drinking some coffee and just getting to watch the kids come down, you know, kind of look at that. Oh, wow. That's sweet. I only got a couple years left, so it'll definitely be interesting to see what an empty nester does. Can't live without seeing the kids come down and just have the faces out there. I think about my two kids who are in college and just those memories of them like coming into the bedroom and pouncing until my wife and I got up to open the presents. That's stuff you remember forever. It really is. So I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. And now on to conversation about some of the things in financial services that are on everybody's minds. I would say, boy, 2022, what a year. Multiple, multiple interest rate hikes concerns about inflation, employment at record lows, but at the same time, way too much cash out in the system, ongoing concerns about regulation, the FTX debacle with crypto now moving into a very hard frozen winter. There is a lot. So I am curious what gifts you believe that you, either as an individual or part of your company, can give consumers that will last into 2023 and far beyond. And Denny, since you went last with the holiday icebreaker, I'm going to call on you first and then ask everyone to jump in as you feel led. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, really what you can give consumers is ease, right? I mean, everything should be ease of use. Things need to be easy for them, self-service. You know, we saw the pandemic bring a lot of self-service things, you know, into the fold, but there's still so much, you know, to be done, especially in the financial sector for that. I don't think people necessarily shop by rates anymore, right? So being able to have those consumers get rewards and they kind of really shop by what they get out of using these products. So really, I think for me, it's, you know, what can we give consumers? It's just better integrations, better experiences, and really just better ways to be able to handle, you know, their money in the times. I could chime in a little bit on that. This is Jose Ariel. So you know, we work in the lending space, so we definitely think that a lot of people are going to be struggling, are going to be needing, obviously, funds, loans. And we think the best gift is just making that as easy, as expedited, as convenient and fast as possible into the next year. And we are very excited. You know, a lot of the stuff that we are going into to help our institutions with that is AI. A big part of our platform is AI driven, and it's all about eliminating the mundane manual repetitive work. We see that a lot of times, a lot of community institutions or large financial institutions still have, and it really hinders the process for everybody, not just for the customers, but also internal team on the ground trying to get things out in time, fast. This is Alex. I think that was a great point, just talking about the ease and customer experience. But another gift, I think, especially with the current economic conditions is offering fair and more equal access to credit for those in need, you know, with the direction that our world is heading and you know, things like financial inclusion and alternative data and lending. We're definitely heading in that direction. And those are some pretty hot topics, but we all do a little bit better in the finance space in general with 
continuing to build out that buy box and offering fairness in more areas of lending. This is Mike. Another area we could really give some help to consumers is twofold. One is give them security in the transactions that they do. I know that's a big focus for my company, security of the data and of the transaction process. Uh, Correlated to that then is protection from fraud. Fraud is becoming ever more sophisticated. The losses are increasing. So that's an area where it's not something that one part of the industry can solve. It's kind of a total effort to deal with that. This is Amy, and I'd also like to add in, we work with a lot of community banks, and we feel that one gift we can give them during this time when they're struggling to retain good experienced bankers or struggling with talent shortages is to provide really effective technology and automation solutions so that they don't have to spend as much time training up new bankers and are able to really spend that time developing those relationships with their customers and uh, benefit to both banks and customers. This is Mac with White Clay. In general, financial services is going to go through liquidity and capital shortages. I've been through three recessions, and one of the things I hope we do different is that we continue to lend to consumers and to businesses, because if they're going to succeed, they're going to need help from the banks and access to credit. And as the banks and credit unions and other providers get squeezed, well, because liquidity is going to start evaporating and capital is going to get tight, as an industry, we need to continue lending and not freeze. We will just make it worse. This is Chris from Quantalytics, and I want to echo what Max said, and I think a number of people have said on this call, which is, you know, as a financial institution, I think the important things that can be provided to their consumers, especially in, you know, what are uncertain economic times is definitely going to be two things. One is stability, knowing that their funds are going to be there and that there's going to be someone at the other end of the phone. And two, liquidity, especially when there's calamity. And to continue that lending and to, you know, be able to provide guidance and certainty when there's uncertainty in the marketplace. Some outstanding observations there. And it really sets up the next question. Some of the things that we have talked about and that I referred to in my first question call to mind how many surprises there have been. Good surprises, bad surprises surprising surprises. I'm wondering what you think the most surprising thing has been about 2022 in terms of what you've seen affecting financial services. This is Mike. I think this was mentioned a little earlier, but the rapid decline of you know cryptocurrency this last year is pretty remarkable. I'm not a cryptocurrency expert, but, you know, you look at this and it's hard to believe that crypto peaked in terms of value just in November of last year. And I was going back and looking and, you know, people were talking about this as the future of money and that it would be an excellent inflation hedge. Obviously, this year has put a pretty big dent in those kinds of talk. You know, there's a significant crash in mid-year and then we've had the FTX debacle. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know whether it's going to be relegated to a niche or it will come back in time. The only thing that appears really obvious at this point is in whatever form it uh, uh, survives, it's obviously going to be a lot more regulated than it has in the past. Those are outstanding points. 
We don't even know who invented Bitcoin. That person or people, they have not stepped forward. This is not backed up by any tangible asset. No central government controls it. And as Sam Bankman Freed showed us all too visibly, something that is fairly invisible can be moved around and hidden and shuffled and nobody's really going to be much the wiser until there is a run on a company and so if you trust crypto right now everybody raise your hands i don't see any hands going on <laughs> well it's audio so i wouldn't see them anyway but it really has been one hell of a year in terms of the bubble bursting with crypto, we will see if it comes back. Lou, this is Chris Eliotta with Quantalytics. And, you know, I think what was most surprising for us this year was how certain financial institutions forgot what happens when interest rates begin to rise, you know, what happens to their investment portfolio and things that happen to their balance sheet and the dynamics that occur there. So it's funny because we've been living in a world of low interest rates for so long seeing how other financial institutions are preparing for rising interest rates and inflation has been a very eye-opening experience, especially as someone who's been through at least two cycles, uh, what I'd call economic downturn in a banking space. This is Max from White Flying. Just to build on that, probably the most surprising thing for me was you could see the inflation elements coming, understood that those would result in rising interest rates. And you could see the potential for recession coming, but the slowness of the financial institutions to begin to pivot, to begin addressing those, we went through most of the year where they weren't doing, that was just shocking to me because you could see it coming. We began to accelerate in the fourth quarter, trying to adapt to the potential new environments, but everyone's running around now, you know, in a deposit pricing war. And we really should have been trying to fortify those deposits and, you know, strengthen their ties to the banks way earlier than that, not just trying to do it through rate. It was just surprising they weren't prepared. Banks were not preparing sooner for what we're now on the edge of. Hello, this is Alex with Equifax. And I think the most surprising thing of 2022 that we saw was just the job trends in the job market. So I manage a database called The Work Number, and it's verified income and employment. And one of the benefits of that is we're able to get insights on job movement and employment status changes. And over the last year, 78 million people changed jobs or were new to their job or less than one year. So that number continued to go up throughout the year, and we're seeing more and more movement, more non-traditional jobs. And then we're now studying, you know, how does that impact the way people handle their money and the way that they borrow money? And what do lenders do to respond to that? So that was, from our perspective, a big surprise from 2022. To build on that, this is Jose Ariel. On the lending side, we were expecting, a, you know, inflation and the hikes in rates to make an impact. But it was surprising for us to see such a steep drop in the mortgage lending volumes. I believe it was close to 40% last quarter against last year. And I heard that is a record in 20 or 22 years. And so that was definitely surprising for us. Hi, this is Amy. And similar to what's been echoed by everyone else, I think what we've seen in the financial markets and with our banks is just a very crowded landscape in the lending environment. And the need we actually have worked with a lot of banks that are looking for those opportunities and creating new revenue streams, looking at where they can be competitive in that community banking space. So looking at indirect lending or community lending and 
really partnering to keep the loan balances and loan volume within their communities. It's been a surprise to see everyone kind of focus on their community at, at a time when there's so much shifting and so many changes in the economic climate. Yeah, Lou, this is Denny from Mahalo again. You know, just for me, the surprising thing is, is I think we see our credit unions and our industry, they've kind of really abandoned like a reactive approach to kind of what they're doing. And they're really going more into a proactive approach with, you know, their digital innovation. And, you know, they've kind of really shifted from an enhancement of products to more an invention of products, right? They're looking for ways to self-serve their members more than they did before. I mean, we've even seen multiple credit unions form together and, you know, really develop their own neo financial institution where they're doing things together. So that's a bit surprising for me, but again, you know, traditional brick and mortar buildings, you know, kind of really going into that digital space. And speaking of space, we are entering the space of a new year and so many of you are familiar voices and faces to me on Bankadelic. All of your companies in one form or another have been on the podcast, which is a really, really great thing to gather everybody together again. If we do this at the end of 2023 and we're chatting as we are now, what do you expect will be new, different, or profoundly changed? Lou, this is Alex. And I think this time next year, a lot of lenders, just echoing some of the thoughts that were previously said on this call, AI and making things easier, I think lenders are really starting to grasp that, adopt it. So really implementing alternative data, more secure and more trusted alternative data, more specifically, such as, you know, employment and income that's verified. But implementing that kind of thing into underwriting and the lending process, I think, will this time next year will be more of a norm. And then just increase buy box overall and accepting more borrower types and expanding the idea of what a well-rounded applicant looks like. If I may follow, this is Jose Ariel Just to echo on something you mentioned, Alex, I personally think that AI in the workplace is going to go from being something of a novelty and an uncertainty to more of a common tool for a lot of people in different roles especially in financial services. In the case of community financial institutions, for instance, I think they're going to start relying more and more on automation driven by AI to be able to compete with large institutions and with other alternative financial institutions or lenders. From our perspective, that's the thing that I expect to make the most ripples in the water next year. This is Mike Beeks at BHMI. In the payments area, what we're seeing is, you know, the industry as it evolves, one of the big areas of emphasis is on faster and easier payments. I would guess that next year we're going to see an even larger shift to more and more real-time payments with the success that Clearinghouse's real-time real payments network has had and the launch of the Fed now in 2023. We're thinking we're going to see a pretty significant increase in that. And this is going to be a big deal to a lot of companies because they're going to find that some of their batch systems they've been hanging on to that handle this are going to have to pretty radically change to support, you know, real-time continuous payment processing. Hey, Luke, this is Danny from Mahalo. For us, again, I think some of the big changes that we're going to see is it's really important to be in front of your customer when they're making those purchase decisions. Jose Ariel talked about AI and that drives those things, the machine learning and all of that. So we're gonna see more mergers happening, you know, more micro branches. 
the digital aspect has to be there. If I have a customer that's out shopping for cars, we need to be asking that customer when they're shopping, are they looking for that loan, right? So you have to be contextually ready to engage with that customer when they're ready for that purchase decision. So AI is, you know, a real big portion of that. This is Chris from Quantalytics. And I want to echo the last two points that I've heard, which is I suspect that we're going to see banking continue to change and that some of the former customer facing activities banks used to perform are now going to be more handled by third parties. And I suspect that point of sale financing is going to become more prevalent as it is growing right now, and that banks are going to really have to think of their strategy going forward, how they're going to handle the shift in customer interaction. This is Mac from White Clay. I'm going to go kind of out on the limb here a little bit. I actually think we will see more, significantly more discipline in consumer and business spending. I think people are going to start running out of excess cash, and I think lending is going to be constrained, unfortunately. And I think we will have not a total shift, but a sizable shift in how consumers and businesses spend. And it won't be necessarily pleasant for all of us, but kind of an out there one. Hi, this is Amy. And I think given what we've all experienced in the first just two years of the 2020s, it's really hard to anticipate what it might look like at the end of next year. But I do think based on what we have seen through the pandemic and some of the ways we've chosen to invest, I really think in the financial arena, banks are really going to be focused on improving their digital offerings. So similar to what Denny had mentioned, making sure you're offering a consumer the same digital experience that you do personalized within the branch. So I think that's really, hopefully, some of what we'll see at the end of next year and a chance to be even stronger. Wow. So that is very much a 360 degree view of what we could see happen. And speaking of personal offerings, you all made time from the many things that you are doing to be on the podcast today. I sincerely hope I didn't delay any holiday shopping on that end. And so Denny, Mike, Amy, Mac, Joseriel, Chris, and Alex, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And before you go, we're going to try something here. On the count of three, I would love you to all raise a glass and say cheers. Let's see. Never done this before in Bankadelic. Could be holiday spirit. Ready? One, two, three. Cheers. Happy holidays. Awesome. And so there you have it. The third annual Bankadelic Holiday Extravaganza wraps up even as the gifts are being unwrapped. Special thanks to Denny Howell, the COO of Mahalo, Mike Meeks, Senior Vice President of Software Development at BHMI. Also special thanks to the BHMI Bulldog, Amy Berger, Vice President Solutions Specialist at Teslar Software. Mac Thompson, founder and president of White Clay. Joserio Gomez Ortegoza, the CEO of Shastic. Chris Aliota, the CEO of Quantalytics. And Alex Franks, director of verification services at Equifax. And they're all gone. The room is empty. No Santa Claus. No Sam Bankman Freed. He's. Not even the freaking ghost of Christmas yet to come. It, it's... 
that's enough to make a podcast host cry. <laughs> huh? What? Who's that? Lou, it's Worthington Big Bucks. I couldn't stand the thought of you spending the holiday alone, so I thought I'd bring over some hot toddy. Lou, Johnny the Big. Merry holiday and all of that stuff. I came by with some cannolis and Christmas cookies and... It's the Bikadelic Executioner. And I just wanted to stop by to tell you about my one-horse open sleigh. Hi, it's Willie, and I'm just... Wanted for Christmas that you don't play any more tricks on me on your podcast. And as a peace offering, I brought over a king cake with the king crab legs in it, just like your podcast guests were talking about. Howdy, Lou. It's Elmo. You know me. I'm the guy that runs Grazeware, and I thought you might appreciate a bag of feed corn. Hi there, Lou. It's John Huckabee, and... I thought this year for Christmas, you might like to have one of my marijuana plants. Oh my God, this is just overwhelming. I can't believe it. Come on in, everybody. Let's have some fun. Let's share some of that hot toddy and those Christmas cookies and the cannolis and all of that good stuff. And to all of you listening, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays, a festive Kwanzaa, a wonderful Hanukkah, or however you celebrate it. An incredible, incredible holiday season. Thank you, Thank you, Mary. Happy Holidays! Special thanks to NMD Plus and those two amazing podcast hosts at Dave and Darm Demystify, our sister podcast in London, Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery. To Cameron Costanzo, who is the all-around good guy helping us with Bankadelic and so many other tasks at the Mothership in Chicago. Rob Gaynor, fintech man extraordinaire. And, of course, the Tsarina of all of our holiday episodes and extravaganzas, Catherine Laws of the William Mills Agency. Thanks again for rounding up all the elves. Our sponsors, of course, are the William Mills Agency, Lemonade LXP, and Banker Hire. This is Lou Carlozo, and before I sign off, just want to let you know, if you have the word Noel in your Christmas window, you can play a prank and scramble the letters up. Could be Leon, in honor of our friend destroying Twitter, Elon, Lone, and if you just like nonsense, Onel. Happy holidays, everyone. Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.